Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. So this morning, we have been looking at a number of things. We've been on a... a, uh, series on intercession, on prayer, and uh, we're, we're doing a series within a series within a series, and now we're going to do another series within a series. And someday we'll get back to the original series. Uh, but uh, I want to talk this morning, I want to pastor you this morning uh, concerning uh, some situations that are going on in the body of Christ, some words that are being released, and others that are questioning those words, some that are saying, oh, this is God, some that are saying, this isn't God, and uh, just, hey, how do, we, how do we navigate that? So let me preface it by saying this. We are a Pentecostal slash charismatic church. We are a continuist church. In other words, we don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the death of the apostles. We believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He operated in the miraculous through his people in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. He does it now. We are the Acts 29 people. The the book of Acts goes to Acts to chapter 28. We're writing chapter 29. God didn't change. He didn't lose his voice. He didn't suddenly get, uh, what do they call it, laryngitis when the Bible was written. God still speaks. He still moves in the miraculous. However, comma, we need to also understand that we need discernment. And so we want to be people that live within the tension of believing in the prophetic, but also practicing discernment. That doesn't mean just because someone says, thus saith the Lord, that it really is the Lord. We all agree with that. So how do we navigate those waters? And so we believe in the prophetic. We believe in prophetic gifts. Uh, in fact, we've, we've, a very prophetic church. We're known for that uh, because we pursue the Lord and those type of things. Uh, years ago, when I first became the pastor, I've been I've been attending here. Kathy and I came. What what year did we start attending here? Ninety six. 96, okay, 1996, what is that, 24 years, oh, oh, can I get a chair, so I can't believe it's been that long, I've walked with the Lord 30, 37 years, and 24 of them has been spent in this church, it's amazing to me, uh, it may not be to you, but it is to me as I think about it, I'm having a wow moment, uh, but I've been the senior pastor of the church for about 18 years, and uh, when I first became the pastor, we began to really seek God with prayer and fasting. And uh, it was around that time that I heard a quote by a guy out of IHOP who was doing, he was heading up the prophetic over there by the name of Kirk Bennett. Uh, Boy, I'm having problems. I need all kinds of help this morning, so I may call on you. Kirk Bennett, and uh, when he took over the prophetic ministry at IHOP, the International House of Prayer, not the International House of Pancakes, International House of Pancakes does not have a resident prophet. It'd be nice if they did, but they don't. It's the International House of Prayer out of Kansas City, led by Mike Bickle. Uh, Kirk Bennett was assigned to lead that ministry, and the Lord's told him this. The Lord said, don't try to raise up prophets, or you will end up with a non-profit organization. He said, promote intimacy and prophecy will happen. And that's what we found out. I found that the people of God are very prophetic by nature as when they begin to enter into intimacy with him. All of a sudden, prophecy begins to bubble up. And so we believe in the gift of prophecy. Uh, just a little, little primer here, a little, little reminder. There are three sets in the New Testament. There are three sets of spiritual gifts. We talk about spiritual gifts, but there's actually three categories of spiritual gifts. There's one that comes from the Father. So there's gifts from the Father. They are found in Romans chapter 12. There are gifts that come from the Son. They are found in Ephesians chapter 4. Those are the office gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The ones that the Father gives us are often known as motivation or grace gifts, and they're all by grace, but they're specifically known as grace gifts or motivational gifts, and they're more a a matter of your personality, your makeup, than the ones the office gift are literally people that God gives to the church. He slaps grace on them, and they function under that grace as a gift to the church. And so then we have this other set of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which are given to us by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gives a category of gifts to his body known as 
the spiritual gifts or the Pentecostal or the charismatic gifts. And those are the ones that you classically see in churches that believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So whereas we're born with these gifts given to us by the Father, we receive them in creation. They're a matter of personality. When the grace of God hits them, we begin to act in the, the grace of those gifts. Then we, and in salvation, we receive the gifts given from Jesus and we come under the leadership of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But then the final set of gifts is released to us through the baptism in the Holy Spirit where we can begin to function in uh, healing, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits, and so forth. So this other category of spiritual gifts. Now it's interesting, there's only one gift that shows up in all three categories. Guess what that is? Prophecy. There is a motivational gift of prophecy. There is an office of a prophet. And then there is a gift of prophecy. That is how important this gift is. Prophecy is essential for the body of Christ to function in the way that God intended for it to function. And so we believe in the gift of prophecy. We believe in the office of prophets. But that doesn't mean that just because someone says they heard from God that we accept that or we feel obligated by that or we just accept that, that we have to judge the word of the Lord. Paul told us, let one prophesy and the others judge. And so we need to judge a word. We need to discern a word. As a matter of fact, if you get offended when your words are judged, then you're wrong, not the person judging it. And it very well may mean that your identity is wrapped up in your gift. Because when they judge your word, you feel rejected personally, when in actuality, they're, they're rejecting the word, not you. And if you make yourself and your word or your ministry gift one, then you're going to feel self-rejection. And that's not healthy for anybody. It's not healthy for you and it's not healthy for anybody else. Because then people will be, feel reticent to share real honest feedback. We need feedback on the prophetic. There have been times where I've prayed for people and I've known things about them that there's no way I could know. There's times, I, I got a, an email a while back, uh, a picture of a, a little baby and uh, a couple down in Columbia was sharing with me, pastor, it's one year to the day that you told us we're gonna have a child. That's the day it was born, one year later. I'm thinking, I don't remember saying that. But they were all excited. They tried and tried to have kids. It was just a God moment. There are other times I've prayed something over people and they looked at me and said, that is off. Oh, okay, sorry. And so we can miss it. The new covenant is not like the old covenant where we take, out, we take someone out that misses it and stone them to death. But we also need to take prophecy very seriously because that carries weight in people's lives. And so we need to be willing to share a prophetic word in such a way that somebody can judge that word and weigh that word. And the fact is, there are times I get words and I'll know that is not God. There's other ones that I know, oh, that is God. And there's other times I don't know. And I put it on the shelf and I say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. If this is you, you're going to have to confirm it and I'll put it on the shelf. And when I see like three jars, the same jars showing up on my shelf, then I know in the mouth of two or three witnesses, I need to lean in and find out what God is saying about what's in those jars. So we need, that, we need room to judge words. It, that is not unbelief. That is not arrogance to judge a prophetic word. That is scriptural obligation. It's maturity to judge the word. And it's maturity on, on both the part of the, the, the one that releases the word and the recipient of the word if they can judge that thing together. And if we can take responsibility and say, man, I missed that. And take that feedback because I want to grow in my gifts. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've been raised in a Pentecostal church. My father is a Pentecostal pastor. And as a little kid, I, I, don't, I wasn't taught this, but I just assumed when you get a gift, you have a gift. And you, you get it at full maturity. Just kind of drops on you. You know, one day you're, you, you've never prophesied. And the next day you're a prophet to the nations. You know, you're reading people's mail. But that's not the way it works. We grow in our gifts. Whether it's a gift of teaching, we recognize that. Oh, a gift of teaching. Whether, you know, uh, a motivational gift or a, a uh, an office gift, we understand you can grow and develop that gift. We understand that pastors grow. Amen? Good. Whew. 
Give me some grace here. Yeah. But the same is true of the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. We grow in those gifts. We learn to prophesy. We learn to flow in words of knowledge and words of wisdom. And, and it's, it's, it's a testing and we understand and we learn to cooperate with the Lord. And we, we also begin to learn not only the unique gift that we operate in according to scripture, but also the unique way that that particular scriptural gift will manifest through us. Because we're unique. And so we need to learn, how does God speak to us? How does God move uh, through our life? And then we can learn to cooperate that. And there's a learning curve on all of that. And we can always be growing in our gifts. The Lord is a good father. He fathers us well. So what he'll do is he'll keep stretching you out of your comfort zone. Your destiny lies just over the threshold of your comfort zone. Just outside the boundary lines of your comfort zone. And he'll continually call you out there and cause us to grow. So, why am I talking about this this morning? Uh, we were talking about it in prayer the other morning. There was a, there's a pastor down in Kentucky by the name of, I believe it's Dale Cover, Coverstone. It's a good name, Coverstone. It's not like a cowboy. <laughs> Dale Coverstone. And uh, seems like a good guy. He's an AG pastor down there. And he was online. Dana, Dana, Dana Coverstone. Yeah, that's even better, doesn't it? Dana Coverstone. Just has a good ring to it. But Dana Coverstone, I don't know him. I don't know anybody that does know him. But he, he put out a video to his church uh, on Facebook that went viral and over a million people watched it. And then he came out with another one and it was a set of dreams that he had. And he shared those with the body of Christ to be weighed, to be judged. And he says, hey, you just, you know, he said, and if it doesn't happen, he said, then I'll be the first one to admit I was wrong. So then there's other people who are watching that saying that can't be God and their reasons to me don't hold water. Okay. Now what I'm saying is this, because this is a, this is a, a pastoral moment. This is an opportunity for us to navigate this subjective thing of spiritual gifts, this subjective nature of the spiritual realm. The, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are very subjective. That's why it's important. I'm so glad I brought a physical Bible this morning. That's why it's important that we have the objective truth of God's Word. This is not subjective. This is concrete objective. I don't have to, I don't read this scripture and think, I wonder if that's God's will. I wonder if that's a real word. I don't have to ask. It is. It's the word of God. And I need that. Something external to myself. It has nothing to do with my feelings. I can look at it and know that is the word of the Lord. This is the plumb line. But God also grants us spiritual gifts that are very subjective. Their impressions, their feelings, their, their pictures in our minds. Sometimes there are pictures out that, you know, we see pictures. Uh, there's been very few times that I've literally seen something, a, a vision of the nature that I could say, I saw that thing out there. There's been a few times I've saw angels. And to be honest with you, I've saw more demons that way than I've seen angels. Wasn't very pleasant. I didn't like that. I like to see angels more. But that's just not the way God operates with me. There are other people, man, they see, they see things. We need to know how does God use us. All of that's scriptural. And we need to be able to anchor it in the scriptures. And we need to develop those gifts. We need to judge them by the scriptures. Why? Because they're very subjective. And so we can't just sling out things. You know, we ate too much pizza last night. We say, oh, you know, I, uh, on a pizza heartburn, I really felt like the Lord was saying, uh, you know, that that's, we, need to, we need to lean in and really discern the word of the Lord. And so I want to I talk this morning about one specific element of prophetic words and how to judge them and how to navigate this. And that is, and, and again, this, the words, the, the, the dreams that Dana Coverdale had, Pastor Dana Coverdale, I don't know if they're the Lord or not. But what I can tell you this, I've taken them seriously and I'm weighing them before the Lord and I'm praying. I'm not going to just dismiss them outright. And here's, here's what's happening in the body of Christ. I've got a, I've got a deep concern about the movement of which I'm a part. And I call that the revival stream, okay? I'm a revival guy. There are those who are cessationists and say, 
God doesn't operate through spiritual gifts in that manner anymore. They've canceled out the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts and they only recognize the, first, the, the Romans 12 and part of the Ephesians 4 gifts. I'm not one of those people. I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not a cessationist. And so I'm not going to dismiss things. Oh, God doesn't speak that way. I know he does. I've had him speak to me that way. I've had people share things with me that they've received from the Lord, that there is no way that they knew that. Things that they told me in advance, that I experienced things that they told me about my past, they had no way of knowing that God used to heal my heart. I've had too many experiences of that, both operated in it and received from it. And many of you have as well. And so... We, we believe in that particular set of gifts. But there's another uh, doctrine or a theological position uh, afoot in the body of Christ within the stream that you and I are a part of. If, if Heartland's your home, whether you know it or not, you're part of the revival stream. And there's a doctrine within the revival stream that says God will never give a word of judgment. There'll, you'll never receive a word of uh, future calamity, never fe- receive a word of, uh, you know, uh, a negative future. You're never going to receive a word like that. And I'm going to tell you that that is unscriptural. And I do understand how my brothers and sisters, my fellow revival guys and gals came to that conclusion. I think that it's a correction gone awry. Okay. There was a time within the body of Christ and I lived during that time and I lived under that, that belief system and it did not produce very good fruit in my life. And that was that if anything is positive, it must not be of God. Oh, you're just scratching my itching ears. And so we, we would outright reject any positive word. Now we've gone to the other end of the pendulum, but we, we outright reject any negative word. And we've, it's not that cut and dry, Okay. Now, there's not without reason that people say that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I want to say it's like verse 3, 4, somewhere in there. You can look it up. Paul says, prophecy is for edification. You know, it's the word edifice, to build up, build you up. It's to edify you, build you up, to encourage you. So it's to build up those who are being torn down, encourage those who are being discouraged, and to comfort the uncomfortable. (laughs) In the uncomfortable situations in life, the prophetic word comes in to comfort us. And based on that passage itself, we understand the New Testament purpose of prophecy is a very positive experience. Amen? Right there, it says it. To encourage us, edify us, and comfort us. But we need to pause there and understand that when we talk about the prophetic Often we are not isolating it to that one particular gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, that body of gifts that is given by the Holy Spirit, there are nine gifts listed within that body of gifts. Some people think Paul is just kind of randomly shooting from the hip and naming some, there's more. I don't personally feel that way, but I wouldn't arm wrestle anybody over it. We'll get to heaven, you find out I'm right. No, I'm just kidding. That's my opinion. I lean towards that, but who knows? But of these nine gifts, there are four of them which are classically referred to as prophetic in nature. One of them, of course, is prophecy. But there are others that are prophetic in nature. What we mean by that is they are revelatory in nature. That they're revel- they, they carry revelation, that there's insight. And the reason we refer to all of them as prophetic in nature, they may not be a prophecy. We'll often refer to it as that. There are a lot of traveling ministers who operate very strongly in a word of knowledge. And people say, man, that guy prophesied over me. Eh, yes and no. He operated and he was very prophetic in his ministry to you, but actually he didn't give you a word. He gave you a word of no, uh, a prophetic word. He gave you a word of knowledge. So nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a wonderful thing. But it is important when we get into this body of material. I hope I'm not losing you. It's very important for us to understand this. Because, well, the word prophecy, that, the word we translate prophecy in the New Testament is a compound word, pro-femi. Pro being before, and femi, it's the word we get luminous from. It means light. In other words, before, uh, luminous, light in advance. We get light in advance. We get understanding 
before we should have it by natural means, we get it by supernatural means. Prophecy is one way in which that happens, but so is a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge can reveal something before you should know it. It could be a word of knowledge about the future, but it could also be a word of knowledge about the past. I have found that a word of knowledge about somebody's past supernaturally will unlock their heart to receive from God unlike most anything else. I've seen it again and again. People, they are, they are Stonewall Jackson, man. Everybody's getting hit, you know, touched by the power of God and they're crying and they're really, and then there's person, they're a, they're a stone. They're like, you know, Mount Rushmore. They're just hard. They're not receiving. It's because of what they've experienced. And you can go up to them and, and say, the Lord just showed me this and boom, they break. Because all of a sudden their heart is opened because they know nobody knew that but God. I remember Miss Sandra, Sandra Collier, who's now with Jesus. So hopefully she's watching this morning. Uh, Miss Sandra, Sandra Collier, who her and her husband were on staff with us for many years. Uh, Sandra operated in both prophecy and word of knowledge very many times. I mean, it was uncanny. I, re I remember this one young man she went up to and she says, oh my. She said, I just saw a picture of you in a red jacket in a locker room and a man came up behind you and grabbed you. The guy lost it. He had been molested as a kid in a locker room as a young man had never told anybody and that unlocked his heart. He needed healing in that area. And Miss Sandra, just being her, just hearing Jesus are walking along and the Lord shows her a scene down to the clothes he was wearing. And he needed that to unlock his heart. That is not a prophecy. That's not... That, but that is light in advance in the sense that he didn't tell her, he didn't come to the, she didn't come to this knowledge after he shared it with her. She had it in advance. She brought it to him. Something he already knew, but he knew the only two people, three people that knew it was the guy who did it, him and the Lord who was watching. And the Lord unlocked his heart and really touched him. That is an example of a revelatory gifting, and therefore we say that is prophetic in nature, but in actuality, that is a word of knowledge, supernatural knowledge given of an event that you would have known nothing about apart from Jesus. A word of wisdom is supernatural wisdom. A good example of that in Scripture, of course, is the passage we talked about last week where the two prostitutes come before Solomon, and he, man, I'm just so cool. I just like one one experience like that. That was amazing wisdom from God. And I would dare to say that Solomon didn't even know what he was doing as he was doing it. I think he's just like feeling led, Lord, oh, let's cut it in half. And he's like, oh, Lord, this better work. You know, he's like, why am I saying this? And, and then the, the mother starts to cry, no, no, she can have it. That's the true mother. And everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. That was a word of wisdom. The other one would be discerning of spirit. So we have prophecy, which is for edification, comfort, and encouragement for those who are being torn down, discouraged, or uncomfortable in their situation in life. Then we have words of knowledge that breaks in from heaven. Sometimes the word of knowledge is something that other person doesn't know. Sometimes a word of knowledge can be about the future and say, You're gonna, this is gonna happen in your life. I know uh, many of you know Mo. Uh, he had, before he ended up going to the nations, uh, he was a good Baptist kid who was on a missions trip and he met this uh, he went to this Presbyterian church in a, in a Muslim nation that was in full-blown revival. And this lady prayed for him and she said, this is what's going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. I don't remember what it was. Three things. Within 45 minutes, all three of those things happened. And that's how God hooked him. This is real. So then he came here and the first time here... He gets prayed for. He had had a dream. He saw this, this boat and this, he saw all this, this picture and he went down on the floor and he had heard two words and the Lord, I mean, it, it was just this crazy thing. And now he's in the nation that he, he received. It's an amazing thing. It's prophetic words of knowledge, all of that work together. Often we can move in between those things and not know it. Often gifts, prophecy and 
healing. Words of knowledge and healing can work together. And so there's, there's a, a meshing together. But the reason it's important for us to understand this this morning is that God can give us a warning about a crisis ahead that through intercession we can avert. Yes. But if we are of the people that say, God would never tell me anything negative, then we don't engage our hearts to pray and we don't do the work that needs to be done to avert that. And the very thing God was trying to engage us in prayer to keep from happening happens. Yes. And it's our fault, not his. Right. And so it's very important. A word of knowledge often. And, and if Dana cover stones, dreams are from God, they would fall under more of a word of knowledge than they would of, would of prophecy. And that's very important to understand. Because according to the New Testament uh, boundary lines of prophecy, yeah, that, that isn't encouraging. Now, it can be encouraging to know that God's loving on us. It, 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 isn't, uh, it isn't building you up. It isn't uh, comforting you. But it doesn't mean it's not revelatory and it doesn't mean it's not from God. And so it's important for us to understand. Now, just as a side note real quick, discerning of spirits is different. Just, just because I brought it up, I don't want this big question mark hanging in the air. Discerning of spirits is not the same as discernment. Discernment is something you accumulate. Discerning of spirits is a gift that you can recognize what spirit is operating. Whether it's angelic, whether it's demonic, whether that's coming from a human spirit or the spirit of God. And so sometimes people can be operating and they, they can be giving a word, but through the discerning of spirits, we have a, a, there's an understanding, oh, that is coming from their human spirit. Or that is, they're, they're, that's demonic in origin. There have been times where situations have happened and somebody's doing something everybody else is doing, but it just hit me wrong. It's like, what, what's the deal with that? And I leaned in on it and I knew it was demonic. And when I addressed it, you found out I was right. It, uh, so anyway, we'll just leave it at that. So discerning of spirits is different than discernment. Discernment is the accumulation of understanding so that we have discernment because we've accumulated wisdom, accumulated principles so that when somebody throws something out, we can say, hey, that doesn't line up with what I know to be true of the word of God. I have discernment on that. That's not the same as discerning of spirits. Discernment is not a spiritual gift. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. It's something we grow in. Discerning of spirits is a gift. It's not a sign of maturity. You could be very immature and operate in a spiritual gift. Some of the most immature people I've known have operated powerfully in spiritual gifts. It's a gift. It's, it's freely given. Fruit has to be developed and grown, and fruit is a sign of maturity. And although discernment is not a fruit of the Spirit, it is the fruit of, a Christian, of Christian maturity because we grow and we, we accumulate knowledge. So there's some things we don't have to question anymore because we already know. We know the Word. So I have discernment about that. Make sense? And so that's another category. And that, that does fall, the discerning of spirits does fall under the revelatory because there, there are people who are seers. They see things in the Spirit. Now, uh, let me just, as a side note, as long as we're dealing with this, Pastor Bob Phillips, that was, was a pastor with us here uh, for a little over a year, tremendous man of God, a real father in the faith, uh, who, by the way, ended up here through a prophetic word. We had a prophet in, Bob Hazlett, and said, I see a grandfather in the faith. He's going to come here. He's a patriarch. He's not retired, but it's, it's like he's retired from pastoring, but he's going to come here because this is a house of three generations, and this will be a house with a generational blessing. And he didn't know that I had already invited Bob Phillips to come here. So I grabbed Bob Hazlett after service, and I said, Bob, what were you feeling at the time? He just reiterated the word. And I said, well, I've invited Bob Phillips. And he said, that's who I saw. I just didn't want to say anything. And sure enough, I didn't share that with Bob Phillips until just the final, the, the final moments of his decision. But he was here for a time. That, and that was the result of a prophetic word. And there was a deposit. Some, there was something that God wanted to do through that partnership. Bob, while he was here, uh, one of the things he taught in the school on, was he taught a whole class on, this, on seeing in the spirits. Paul talks about that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we may see. And here was Bob's take on it. And the moment I heard Bob, we got in a conversation about this one time, and that's, 
really how the whole class spun out of this conversation, what he was sharing with me. And I thought, man, that needs to be a class. He said, Dave, that is not, he said, that's not a gift. He said, people talk about the seer gift. That's not a gift. He said, what it is, it's a function of the born, born again human spirit. He said, that's why there are some people before they get saved, they see things in the spirit and then they get saved and they're seeing things in the spirit. And you're wondering, how could they have a spiritual gift before they got saved? It was a function that God gave to humanity. It's part of our, us being spiritual beings. And most people don't function in it before they get saved, but some people do. They see things. And people get into the occult and they awaken and they pursue those things. And they're seeing things. And some people think they're going crazy and they don't tell anybody. Because I've known of prophets that uh, as little kids began to see things and told their parents. Their parents took them to the doctor, put them on psychiatric medicine. And uh, they went through years of torment and got saved. And now are traveling the nations as uh, prophets to the nations with tremendous gifts. I've, I've uh, uh, David uh, Wagner, who, who was supposed to come, but because of COVID, wasn't able to come, is one of those people. And uh, you, when he comes, you're going to see just a tremendous prophetic office that he functions in. But one of them is seeing. But that is not that is not isolated to just a prophet or to people who are prophetic. We're all supposed to be prophetic. Remember, that's the only gift that shows up in all three. And we're all supposed to see the eyes of our understanding are to be enlightened. Now, some people are more perceptive than others, and we all operate in different gifts. And we need to understand that so that we can let other people be who they are and let ourselves be who we are without coming under condemnation. Now, let's just camp on that for a second. And then we're going to get to what we're really going to talk about. Because this is a very important point. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, we do not compare ourselves with ourselves for those who compare themselves with themselves show they are not wise. And then he goes on, he says, we're not going to get out, we're not, if we're going to boast, we're going to boast within the, the metron or the parameters or the fence line, one translation says, the sphere that God has given to us. What is he talking about there? Paul is saying that we all have different assignments and different gifts and function in different ways. And even if we function in the same gift, it comes out a different way. It's just like two people with a teaching gift. One can be, you know, very serious. And man, every time they preach, it's like the fear of the Lord comes out. They yell a lot. And another person can be very calm. And they just talk. They never raise their voice. And then another guy's hilarious, or gal, she's hilarious. And you're, you're laughing and then you're crying. And it's all three are teaching gifts, but it's strained through the personality of that person. The danger is, you know, one of the sins of the flesh that we see in Galatians, the King James Version translates it, the, sin, uh, the, the uh, emulations. In other words, I want to emulate your gift. I want to be like you. The world already has you. What it doesn't have is a me, if I'm not being the me. If I don't be me, that hole in human history is left empty. And I got to fill the me hole, and you fill your you hole, and we'll be all right. But if I get under this pressure, and I look and say, oh, look, man, uh, Roger, look. I, I just love when Roger was at prayer this, this week. I'm up here, and I'm just, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm like, God, pour some fuel. And all of a sudden, Roger comes down. You know Roger, man. He's like the ignition switch. Beloved, whoo. And I knew I couldn't see him because I was laid down here. But I knew. I don't know how he does it. He kind of crouches down, and he walks. And I'm about ready to fall down. But he does it really fast, and he'll do it back and forth. And it ignites things in the spirit. There's this breaker thing on him that I love. I don't carry that like him, but I don't need to. You know why? Because I got him. And I don't need to be like him because I'm not supposed to be him. I got to be me. And this is very important when we get into this whole realm of the revelatory because what happens is is one gift looks at another gift and said you shouldn't exercise your gift that way that is unscriptural that's not right why because you're not operating in the way I do or you have someone who doesn't use their gift because they see somebody else with a tremendous gift and they say oh my goodness that's amazing and that's not how I do it so I'm not going to do it at all because I'm not doing it right and both of those are lies. 
So let's not compare or measure or evaluate ourselves by others and how they use that gift. Let's be who we're called to be and let's use the gifts we're called to use and let's grow in those gifts so that God can use us. But it's very important because I think what happens a lot of time in the body of Christ, we've got people who achieve a national platform, whether they deserve it or not, okay? It's not for me to judge. But sometimes it's not Jesus that's expanding your platform, it's Facebook. And I don't want a platform that I don't have the grace to steward. I got enough work stewarding the little platform I got. <laughs> and it's up to God to expand our platform. That's what 2 Corinthians is all about. 2 Corinthians 10, the passage we're talking about. Paul said, I'm not going to brag outside of the sphere given to me. And I'm not going to compare myself with others and how they operate in their field. I'm going to be faithful in what I got. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to pour into you. And as you grow, you're going to put a greater demand on me. And then it's going to force me to outgrow the field. And God's going to say, I got to move this boy's fence line and give him a greater platform. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. And so it's very important. And so like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about there's overts and coverts. And this is especially true of prophetic gifting. You can have a prophet like Daniel and Joseph who served a pagan king and served them well. Daniel served several and would greet them. Oh, king, live forever. Such honor. Or you can have an Elijah and a John the Baptist who stuck his bony finger in the king's face and said, you repent. You're sleeping with, you know, you're, John said, you're sleeping with your brother's wife and you're gonna come under the judgment of God. Now, which, which type of gifting? The, the overt, confronting kings, or the covert, serving kings? Which one is scriptural? Exactly. But the problem is, is the Daniels and the Josephs criticize the Johns and the Elijahs and, and they say, you guys are making a mess for the rest of us. You guys are an embarrassment. You go up there and shundai, shundai, shundai right on TV and all this stuff, you know, and man, you just tone it down. And, but then these guys over here are telling those guys, you guys are compromised. You're, you're operating by the fear of man. And it's not, we need to honor the gifts that people operate in. And we've got to be careful that we don't throw grenades because someone isn't operating the way God's called us to operate. Now, the fact is, if they get into unscriptural things, we need to humbly correct and go to them alone and, the, you know, all that stuff, yes. So, I want to give you some scriptural evidence that there are times where God will release a word of future calamity. Now, again, I'm not telling you that that man's dreams was from the Lord. I heard one pastor say uh, he didn't think it was from God because of his advice saying get guns and get food. Well, I can see where you're coming from. That doesn't negate the word. That's his ad there, A lot of times what you'll see is somebody will give a word and then they'll give their interpretation of the word and their advice about the word. And those three things should not carry the same amount of weight. Just because somebody gives you a word, and if it's a word that you know, oh, there's no way they could have known that. Often, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and prophecy can be intermingled. A lot of times, what happens will someone will give you a word. I see this about your past, this about your past, this about... Those are words of knowledge, and you're like, I'm convinced. And they say, and this is what I'm going to tell you about your future. What are they doing? By the Spirit of God, God is graciously gaining credibility. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God is trying to gain credibility with you? Because he's wanting to encourage you. And what he's saying is, hey, I, was, I knew those, so you can rest assured I'm knowing that as well. But then the person will add, so what I think you ought to do, take note of that. Because <laughs> that's what they think you ought to do. And that's fine, you can listen to their advice. But just because somebody has a strong prophetic gift doesn't mean they have good understanding of financial markets. I knew a guy when I was a kid, 
My dad and him were friends. They would go out street witnessing. We lived in an international harbor city, Duluth, Minnesota. Through the locks, we'd have international ships coming in. And this guy would go down to the docks and speak in tongues to people and have conversations. They would, hear, they would understand him. He would release the word of the Lord over him. And he didn't, he didn't speak any language but English, and he had a prayer language. But he would go down there, and he would just start talking them tongues. People would break down, and it was an amazing thing. The guy had a tremendous prophetic gift and his personal life was a train wreck and he died a young man because of how he destroyed his health. Those two things were separate. Tremendous gift. We can receive that. Personal life was a train wreck. Don't receive his counsel. Receive counsel from people who are experiencing what you want to experience. Receive a prophetic gift as what it is. It's a gift coming through them. They didn't earn that. It's a gift. And so we need to distinguish between those. Now, in Scripture, there are several, there's numerous examples. I I was reading an article where one one, uh, well-known prophet, and everything I've read by this guy, I've, I've been, well, most of it I've enjoyed. I don't know that I agree with everything he says, but, you know, that's just my opinion. And, uh, but he, w- he was talking about when we get negative words about the future, he called that second heaven revelation. Now, I've heard people talk about this before, that, you know, that second heaven revelation, we need to go to the third heaven. The second heaven is where the demonic realm resides. Well, here's one of the problems with that is the Bible also says that you are seated in those heavenly places. It's the same terminology, the same words, same Greek words, same terminology, as in chapter 1 of Ephesians says that you are given the resources in heavenly places. Chapter 2 says you're seated with Jesus in those heavenly places, plural, not heaven, heavenly place, as in the third heaven. It's these multiple realms of the heavenly places. And then in chapter 6, it says principalities and powers reside in these heavenly places. Same terminology, same book. So Paul is not correcting himself and saying, hey, I'm not talking about the same thing. There's a consistency there. And so they say, well, that's second heaven revelation. Now, I am not arguing that, okay, let me put it this way. One of the reasons that people reject any, what they perceive as a negative word, and I understand, if you listen to those videos, I, receive, I would receive that as a negative word if, if I receive it at all. But it's not prophecy It becomes a word of knowledge. And there's a precedence for warnings of the future in Scripture. Jonah went to Nineveh, released a negative word. Another interesting thing, this isn't, we can't get into this this morning because we're running out of time, but we'll say, well, if the word doesn't come true, that guy's a false prophet. Jonah heard from God, released the word from God, and it didn't happen. You know why? Because the recipients prayed and headed it off at the pass. And it was a true, blue, real word of God. So here's the conclusion we can come come to from that. Words of judgment are not expressions of divine desire. But they may be expressions of divine intent. And they may be expressions of demonic intent. And that's where people say, well, that's second heaven revelation. But it's second heaven revelation, if you want to call it that. I don't see a lot of biblical basis for that. I know where they're coming from. I understand the logic behind it. I just don't think that's strong theology. God will give us insight into enemy activity. And that is precisely what the Bible talks about when it talks about a watchman. Some of you have heard that, that terminology. Oh, they're a watchman. A watchman, if you think about that, uh, a, a watchman is an intercessor. A watchman is somebody who watches over the city. What is a, that, that's applied to a, a revelatory gifting, and it's also applied to intercessors. Well, what was a watchman? Where does that terminology come from? Well, in ancient times, on the city wall, while the people slept at night, they had watchmen on the wall because they weren't, gonna, they weren't all going to sleep. They would 
post people that would stay up all night in cycles and, and, and they would stay on the wall, they'd take their place and they would continually scan the horizon looking for any enemy activity. Because if the enemy was moving, then they would know. They've got to sound the trumpet. So their sight, their perspective, their attention was locked on not what the king was doing in the royal throne room or the royal bedroom, but what the enemy was doing. They're, they were focused on enemy activity. And there, is, there are those who are specifically called to be watchmen. Now, I know I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it. M many of you probably have. But we had, year, this was a number of years ago now, probably about, man, probably 10 years ago now. It's hard to believe it's that long. But there were two specific gals in the church at that time that were really, uh, operating strong in revelatory giftings. And, uh, and I've asked the Lord for that in this church. I've asked God, would you give us those prophetic gifts? And, and, uh, and so I tell, if I, if I begin to realize that there's people that, oh, I say, hey, get that to me. And I tell them, hey, if you can't, if, if you can't receive a word from the Lord and bring it to me and me not do anything with it, then there's no room for your gift to operate here because I can't abdicate my role because you had a word. You may have had a word, and I may be wrong. But just because I'm wrong doesn't mean I'm, I can abdicate my role. This is my responsibility. And here's a principle of Scripture. Government over gifting. Ephesians 4 over 1 Corinthians 12. The gifts from Jesus govern the gifts from the Spirit. And so we've got to honor that. But when we have that kind of understanding that we can weigh those things and operate, and I, there, there are times where I know people have given me a word and I'm just, I've weighed it and, and uh, it was God, but I, did, I didn't know what to do with it and we missed our opportunity. But God's a good father. I don't think, oh, it's all over now. We're moving, we're growing. Now how I got to all that, I don't know. What's that? Two guys. Two guys. Oh yeah, the two women. Okay, there were, I'd, be, I'd be studying. I'd be at home in my ratty recliner. Well, it's, it's, it's not ratty, but it's old. I, I've got, it molds to my body. And I'm in my recliner and I'm, I'm studying. And all of a sudden, bloop, bloop, two emails. Both gals sharing with me the very scripture I'm studying. Pastor, I feel like the Lord wants you to know this about this passage. I'm like, this is crazy. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of verses in there. What are the chances of two people? And this, you know, this kind of stuff was not uncommon for them to flow in those kind of things. But I noticed that one, they were always happy words. Oh, there was like flowers and music and butterflies and the sun was shining, you know. And the other one was like, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there was this urgency about it. And I'm like, but essentially it was the same word, but a different tone to it. And so I knew the happy butterflies. Oh, that one better. So I, I called them. I said, hey, what's the deal with the other gal? I said, this is how it feels when I get those words. And, and she said, oh, pastor, she's a watchman. And I'm not. She said, my, my gift is this. And I said, yeah. She said, you know, a watchman. I said, no, I don't know what you mean. She said, a watchman. A watchman watches for the enemy activity on the horizon. I thought, oh, makes sense. A little bit. Right after that, we gathered all the prophetic people in the congregation. We do this from time to time and did some teaching, talked about how this is how we roll here. This is the prophetic protocol. If you get a word, this is what you do with it, and this is how we're going to do it. And uh, so then we, you know, information. Now it's time for impartation. We're going to lay hands on everybody. And there was the danger, Will Robinson, girl. And uh, so I walked up to her, and I laid my hands on her head. And as soon as I did, boom, I went into a vision. And in the vision, we were both on a, on a castle wall. And we're standing there, and she's facing me, and the sky was browns and grays and dark, foreboding. And she turned around, took this scope out, and she put it to her eye. And as soon as she did, I was seeing through her eye. And it was like we were going across the landscape at a very high rate of speed. Things were just moving by. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm looking into this face of something off of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That movie's very vivid. And that's what I'm looking at. And I'm like, yellow stuff dripping from its teeth, you know. And all of a sudden she puts it down and turns back to me. And I'm looking at her again. She's saying, they're here, they're here, they're here. 
And I'm thinking, no, they're not. They're a couple miles away. But now I understand why she acts like she does. And it helped me steward her gift with her. It helped me know what to do with how she responds. Because I knew she was hearing from God. I just, I just couldn't match the emotion, you know. It's like, whew, man, I'd be, always, I'd be on anxiety pills, you know. It's, it, uh, but it was her experience, and, she, you know, that she could roll with that. She had the grace for it. I didn't. And so we were able to navigate that. That's a watchman gift. So there, there are watchmen in Scripture. Ezekiel talked to the watchman. He said, if you, if you see calamity coming and you sound the trumpet and the, the blood of the innocent is shed, then it's not on you. But if you withhold the trumpet, you don't warn them and they die, the blood is on your hands. That, that is the watchman calling. And don't, don't think that this is just Old Testament. Matter of fact, let, let's look at one more in the Old Testament. Remember where God... I don't think God mistakenly operated in second heaven revelation when he told Moses, I'm going to kill all of Israel. Sorry, God, I'm going to have to correct you. That was second heaven revelation. I want to school you on some prophetic stuff here. No, and Moses, what did he do? Was God insincere when he said that? Was God just trying to pull his string and use psychological maneuvering, you know? I'm going to elicit something out of Moses by telling him something I'm really not going to do? No, there's no shadow of turning within him. God is in God is incapable of being insincere. So he was going to do it. Moses cried out in intercession, asked him not to, and God didn't. But it was a real word from the Lord. Okay, you say, well, pastor, those are Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. Acts chapter 11, we run into this prophet called Agabus. He's out of Antioch. And Antioch was known for two things. There were teachers and prophets in Antioch. It was a house of revelation. It was a very prophetic house, and it was a house where there was revelation coming out of the word. And they became a missions movement. Matter of fact, the power center of the New Testament church moved from Jerusalem to Antioch during that time. And one of the primary prophets was this guy Agabus. And Agabus, it says, prophesied a worldwide uh, famine that was on the horizon. Well, if God doesn't ever give words of calamity, then the disciples, the apostles, should have rejected that. But they didn't. You know what they did? They positioned themselves to be the answer to a need before the need arrived so that they could be there and be the answer to humanity's problems. And then in chapter 21, Agabus shows up again. This guy's always given negative words. He's in a meeting with Paul, and he calls Paul out, grabs Paul, he grabs his belt off and binds him, his own wrist, and he says, he grabs Paul's belt, binds his wrist, and he said, so shall be it unto the man who owns this belt, that the Jews will bind you and put, give you to Caesar. And Paul said, he said, I'm ready. So why would God give Paul? Was Agabus right? The disciples didn't reject it. They didn't say, that's a false word. Don't give me that negative stuff. I just want encouraging stuff. I'm just going to feed on encouraging words. Don't, don't try to bring me down here, brother. Paul didn't do that. But he did say, hey, I'm ready. So why would God give Paul a word about negative, a negative situation in his future? And Paul says, I'm ready to face it. Because it was to strengthen Paul once he got there. Because once Paul is there, he can know, I'm in the will of God. God already told me. The thing about trials and circumstances, when everything starts to cave around you, the, the enemy begins to lie to you. See, you missed God. See, if you would have obeyed God, then you wouldn't have had to suffer this. This wouldn't have happened. But if God tells you in advance, it can stiffen your resolve. And you say, okay, God already warned me. I know I'm in, I know I'm in his will. He told me this was going to happen. It's the very thing that happened to Paul when he got saved. And he, was, he had scales on his eyes and he was prayed for. And the word was, you will stand before kings and suffer much. It's what the prophet John Paul Jackson, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. But John Paul used to have this wonderful teaching called the cost clarity principle. What he was saying is the cost of your calling will be equal to the clarity with which you receive it. If you, I mean, if you have a heavenly visitation, a bunch of angels come to dinner and, you know, I mean, you're, you're out for hours and you hear the audible voice of the Lord, you're going to the nations. Get ready. 
The reason God gave you such clarity is you are going to need it when you get in the fire that's to ensue. But God will give us that clarity so we'll be strong enough to push through these things because he's a good father. But those are words of knowledge. What Agabus, a prophet, gave Paul was a word of knowledge. It wasn't a prophecy. I declare as if that's God's will. It's God's will to bind you and turn you over to the Romans. It's a word of knowledge of what he would have to face. But Paul said, I'm good with that. And so words of future calamity are not expressions of God's desire. That's why Moses could engage God. That's why Nineveh could engage God. It wasn't an expression of God's desire, but it was an expression of his intent, what he was either going to do or allow to happen if somebody didn't engage. And therefore, we've said this before, we've said it in the last couple of weeks during prayer. Those type of words are not inevitabilities. They are invitations to contend with heaven to change God's mind. Yes. And it's not that God, we have to talk God into doing something. He doesn't. I'm, I'm going to destroy America. Boy, I'm really going to relish this one. And then we please God. Oh, I guess. We're, you're twisting my arm. Man, I was really hoping. I, I guess I'll take it out on Russia instead. You know, that's not the heart of God. Isaiah 58, I, not 58, I think it's, uh, I want to say it's 59. It talks about judgment as God's strange or his alien work. It is naive, if not arrogant, for us to believe that this nation will not suffer the consequences of its poor decisions without God's intervention. And it is also unscriptural for us to think that God is going to intervene just because he likes us. The principle of prayer is this, divine intervention only by human invitation. God is saying, I've given the earth to you and I've specifically given this nation to you because you are, I chose the times and places in which a man should live. And there's some reason that you and I live in this hour of human history. There's some, something about us that God put in us that can handle the days ahead and can contend with him and turn the future. And God expects us to. So there are scriptural precedents for words to come about, the, about a negative future that we can contend with God. Let me give you two modern examples. How many of you ever heard of Demos Shikarian? You guys remember that name, Demos Shikarian? Demos Shikarian was an Armenian, Ar Ar Armenian Pentecostal. He started an organization known as the Full Gospel Businessmen's. It was a huge blessing to the body of Christ. It came out of the, the charismatic movement back in the 60s and 70s. It was very strong. Matter of fact, he was a good friend of John and Jason Huffy's grandfather. They were both very prophetic businessmen. Demo Shikarian, he, uh, he was a businessman, and he would hear from God. He, he would, the Lord would tell him, buy that cow, it's going to produce a lot. Or the Lord would say, I want to take a drive. He'd drive and he'd see a plot. The Lord would say, okay, buy this ground. Three weeks later, he'd find out there's going to be a development, that a mall was eyeing that same ground, and he would sell it for exponentially more. He was just a Holy Ghost businessman. But the reason he lived, and many Armenians died, like a, a million and a half Armenians died at the hands of the Turks back in the early 1900s. It was called the, uh, the, uh, the Armenian Genocide. Matter of fact, the word genocide, genocide, was coined after an, uh, uh, somebody was studying this whole scenario. That's where that word came from. The Turks came in and marched women and children, conscripted the men or just outright murdered them and marched women and children, the, the frail old people out into the desert and they just died. It was horrendous. But there were a lot of Pentecostals among the Armenian people. And there was a little boy prophet that got a word from the Lord. This, you can look it up on the internet. Look up uh, boy prophet Armenian genocide. You, you'll find material on it. And there was this little boy that had a word from the Lord that destruction was coming and that when the Lord says, the people need to move. And there was a large group of them that believed it was God and did move. And others that didn't, you know, that's not God. He's just a kid. And they died. 
But Demos Shikarian and his whole family was, was uh, preserved because they understood that this was a word of knowledge through a little boy that God had given to him. Here's a more modern example. Uh, some of you may remember Junior and Hoffa. Has Junior ever been here? There's just Hoffa. Uh, Junior and Hoffa are, were pastors down in Brazil. Uh, I think I met him in 2007. Uh, John and Laura went there and ministered and got to be good friends with them. And I uh, went and ministered with them in Poland uh, because... Uh, Hoffa is a, she works with the, uh, with the embassies, the, Brit the uh, Brazilian embassies. And so she was, she was assigned to work. Matter of fact, uh, when she was here one time, Bob Hayes, a prophet, told her, I see you in Mozambique. You know where she's serving, what embassy she's serving in now? The Brazilian embassy in Mozambique. And so she, but anyway, uh, they were in Poland and, and they were a part of this Pentecostal church and they met this little, uh, this little Ukrainian woman. This was in, uh, I think late 2014 would it have been that this happened? Uh, 2014, this woman was living in the Ukraine, Pentecostal church, and the Lord spoke to her and said, get out. Get your family, get, tell the church, get out. Destruction is coming. And she told the church, and uh, her, her and her family took all their belongings and got out. They moved to Poland. And right after that, Russia came in, invaded, and killed a bunch. Her pastor died. Many of the church members died. Some of her family members died. But she was spared. Why? Because she got a word from the Lord of what's coming. And they listened and they moved on. But under the theology of some, they would have heard that and said, oh, that's a negative word. I rebuke that. God, God's good God. God loves me. Yes, he does. And that's why he warns us. We need to understand that things are not as cut and dry in this thing of, Scripture is very clear. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. And there's times where God will give you insight of what the enemy intends to do so that you can head it off at the pass through intercession, sometimes so that you can respond and remove yourself from a situation. But if you have a theology that says anything negative, I'm not listening to it, you will miss a big portion of what God wants to give you through prophetic, the prophetic. So is what this guy, the guy's videos, is that from the Lord? I don't know. I do know this, that I've got a very good friend by the name of Joel Budd in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that has been here. Many of you know Joel and Linda that had a, an encounter with God at the first of the year. And the Lord told him, disruptions are coming, disruptions are coming. The Lord showed him the spring and he showed him the fall. That's why we pray. I don't know if, if Dana heard from God or not. I know Joel, I believe he heard from God and I'm praying. God we're, we are contending for your grand purposes for this nation. And don't allow yourself to be lulled asleep by any unscriptural theology that would rob you of the urgency of the hour and the need to pray. We need to be able to steward this wonderful gift called prophecy or the prophetic, the whole ball of wax. But we, know how, we need to know how to interact with it. And so we don't just reject something because it's positive. That's whacked. And we don't just re reject something because it's negative. Because that's equally whacked. I grew up in the days of David Wilkerson's ministry. I so respected David. I, I'm a product of the ministry he established, Teen Challenge. I went through the program as a homeless alcoholic. Worked there for 14 years. I love David. But because I didn't know how to steward his words, I'll never forget when he came out with his books, his book, uh, Set the Trumpet to Thy Mouth. I opened it up and this is the first line. Russia will attack America and America will be no more. I closed it. Because in my mind, I knew he was a man of God. Therefore, I just accepted what he said, not only as a possible word of knowledge, but also as an expression of God's desire. And I lived under this heaviness, feeling like, man, this whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket and we deserve it. It wasn't until I was touched by revival in the mid-90s that God began to take me on a walk to see the prophetic differently. God will warn us of things to come, but we are the agents of his government on the earth and we can cry out and just like Moses spare a nation yes. 
One man spared an entire nation in one prayer meeting. That's amazing. And that ought to encourage us and ignite our hearts. Amen? All right, let's stand. It's five after. Five, five minutes and 11 seconds. We even have this annoying second up there. So, man, I can't claim because we used to have that little clock so I could say I couldn't see it. No more. Father, we thank you. Just lift your hands for a moment. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that you are a good, good father. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us and keep on speaking. Lord, give us wisdom to steward the word of the Lord. Father, I ask for discernment, God, that you would grow us in our discerning ability, Lord, that we would know when things are from you and not from you. Lord, I ask that you would begin to increase the discerning of spirits. Lord, increase words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy. And Lord, we ask that you would make us faithful. Lord, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, the secret is to be faithful in the assignment you have. You want a bigger assignment? Get about what you're already supposed to do. So Lord, grace us to be faithful. And Lord, we pray for this great nation. Lord, we ask that the dream in your heart called the United States of America would be realized and preserved in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.